Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Well, Lower Mainland developer BD Development uh, marking its 70th anniversary this month by highlighting its Built for Good Social Responsibility pledge. Uh, BD was founded on February 10th, 1954 by Keith Beattie with initial focus on building single-family homes. Now, originally, uh, BD Construction uh, focused on uh, those homes. Uh, and you get this, the cost of those homes uh, was $12,000 at that time back in the 1950s. Now, Keith Beattie was also involved in building PE prize homes in the 1960s and eventually got into industrial construction as well. Uh, Mr. Beattie founded the company on big picture values, uncom- uncompromising quality, outstanding service, and loyal relationships. Now, today, Beattie has three separate brands Beattie Industrial, with more than 35 million square feet of completed industrial space across BC, uh, Alberta, Ontario, and Nevada, Beattie Living, its residential arm with more than 11,000 homes in planning and development, and Beattie Capital, the company private investment firm. Now, in June of 2016, Mr. Beattie Sr. was presented an honorary doctorate by SFU. He was asked one question. What is the key value to being successful in business and in life? Take a listen. Well, the main thing is honest. You've got to be honest for sure and never lie. That's one thing. Another thing is to make sure that you look after the buildings. If we make a mistake or something... We have to eat it. We're just not going to try to get somebody else to pay for it. That was, of course, Mr. Keith Beattie. Joining us now is his son, Ryan Beattie, president of Beattie Development. Ryan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. What goes to your mind when you hear your dad's voice uh, talking about uh, success in business and in life? That is awesome. I don't think I've ever heard that clip. I was there for it. And, you know, if you were to ask me what are the values that have really driven the company from the beginning, it would be just that. So to hear him say it, you know, in his own words... It uh, really strikes a chord. And, you know, it, it's true. He, he in, in, you know, imparted those values on me at a young age. And I can tell you, uh, he, he kind of scared me a little bit. He was, he was a really driven, intimidating force, but a wonderful, wonderful dad. I didn't lie to him once. Like some people, you know, they lie to their parents. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was afraid of him. I, I always told the truth. And he'd say to me, Ryan, if you tell me something, Unless you're 100%, say you're 90% sure, 80% sure, but if you tell me something, I need to be able to take it to the bank. I need you to be, you know, 100% if you're saying, and to this day, I try to follow that ethos. So it's wonderful to, to hear what he had to say. What was it like? Uh, because, you know, I always think someone like that who starts uh, small with single family homes and building this business, uh, the kids see it. Uh, they see dad, mom, the parents building this business. What was that like uh, growing up with, with, a, with a Keith Beattie driving a business like that? Yeah, you know, um, so I was born in 1968, and around that time, he, uh, he, he basically was essentially broke because his accountant had embezzled from him twice, not once. He didn't yes. fire him after, after the first time. But, um, you know, growing up, like Sundays would be going to, to job sites. The company 
was the most important thing to him. I mean, like the company and my mom and Canucks hockey, you know, the, <laughs> those three, but a little bit, uh, you know, a little, little OCD. He loved the company. He never called it my company. He called it the company just because, you know, it involved so many other people, stakeholders, employees, or whatever. So he was so proud. But this was, he was so driven, so determined. And he'd come home at, you know, 6 7 o'clock at night. And I, I would be, you know, depending on how his day was, you know, whether I talked to him or not, I kind of shy away. But you know, I remember vividly in 81, 82, and interest rates are 17, 18, 19 percent. Mm-hmm. And the stress on his face, like, could he, you know, maybe lose his company? So um, it, the, the the topic of conversation uh, dinner was always, you know, work mm-hmm. and, and hockey. So, <laughs> and hockey. Yeah. I remember uh, as I was researching your dad uh, and you were mentioning that uh, the accountant had embezzled some money. He also ended up paying his his trades folks with interest, didn't he? After he, did. he paid everybody, he he flipped a coin. His heads was supposed to be bankrupt, and tails not. It was heads. He said, "Forget it. I'm not going bankrupt." He went to all the trades. He went to Royal Bank, and he paid everybody back in, in time because you know that was the right thing to do. He he lived by a certain set of principles and values that were really uncompromising mm-hmm. and um, consistent. Um, what drove your dad to be your dad. I mean, some people are, are, are quite happy building two or three homes a year. It's a comfortable living. Uh, you're not getting rich, but you've got a living. And But then there are those like your dad, uh, Jimmy Patterson would be another person. They continue to build and build and build. What is it you think within your dad that continued to drive him? I think he, he loved um, the process of, of creating and building, he was very curious. He always liked to tell he was building model airplanes when he was a little kid. He liked mm. to create. And and he was very curious as to how things worked. Um, so I, I think that was a major factor. Uh, his employees and the people around him, they meant so much to him. We, you know, had, we've, we measure in decades and not years. We had some employees at over 50 years, some at 40, keeping the machine going, keeping work. He loved the idea, the notion of, of work. We'd go to a site and look at all the people working and they're feeding their families. So he the perpetuating sort of a building of that. And, uh, and it was a, a huge driver for, for him. And it wasn't, you know, it's cliche to say, it wasn't really about the money. He lived, a, uh, and my mom, a very relatively, a simple life. My mom still lives in the same house uh, that uh, you know, we moved into in 1969, 55 years ago. The carpet in the basement on one side is the original carpet. <laughs> there was one renovation. He hated waste. He had spent hated spending money on something unless it was necessary because he he grew up during the depression. He knew sort of what it was like to not have, mm-hmm. um, but he was very driven. That's for sure. Um, your education in the company. When did it start, and what was it like? Yeah. I think the education probably started when I was four or five years old, if you, if you look back on it. Um, I did my undergraduate at uh, SFU. I was going to be a chartered accountant. I was going down that path. I just thought, you know, my dad at the time was 65. I was a bit concerned about his health. Thank goodness he lived to 91. My brother was already in the business. I thought I should come back, uh, maybe join the company sooner. So I did my MBA at UBC, and I really started in 1993. So it was just a little over 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did he take you? I mean, you said you, you talked about you'd see him at the sites. Did he actually have you work on sites as well? No, I didn't. I didn't work on on site a little bit, but not um, not a lot. But we, we we talked shop all the time, even through high school. He would ask me advice on things. And what are you asking me? I'm 16 years old. <laughs> you know, and I, I would work on sites. I do landscaping and that kind of thing. But I think he was in a subtle way kind of, you know, grooming me because, you know, this, he called it his baby. He loved this so much. And to have me come on, I worked with my brother, uh, Colin, from 1993 to 1999. Colin left 99, 2000. And 
I retired and, and I became president in uh, 2001. Mm. Um. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Your dad passed away in, in 2017, and you, as you said, in his early 90s. Uh, usually when you have somebody who has built the business and it's passed on to the next generation, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. First of all, there's a lot of pressure on the next generation in regards to sustaining what's been built, and there's been a myriad of books written on that. Um, at the same time, for those people who are taking over, you still have to you know, speak to whoever built the business, but also continue to infuse that culture. Walk me through some of the challenges, or, or maybe not challenges, but how your mindset works in regards to making sure the leadership has changed in regards to it's the sun. Yeah. Um, but keeping that culture sort of seamless through the, through the organization. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, this is almost like a master class of succession and, um, and just, he just did it intuitively. Again, he loved the company so much. He, he gave me a lot of authority in my, my mid-20s, late-20s. I came in with a bundle of energy, took his model, his vertically integrated development model, and wanted to scale it up. And he let me go. He let me, let me run. There was only one time he overruled me in like 1997. He was in Hawaii. He said, we've got to buy this. And he said, no, it turned out that we should have. Um, full credit to him. He, I think he had a lot of confidence in me. He was a big fan of mine, but he gave that runway, allowed me to do it, which is incredible considering someone who started this business. It meant so much to him. Mm-hmm. Many people you know, have a hard time letting go of that control. Yet he did it. He worked on the property management, leasing side of the business, but gave me uh, tons of runway. Um, well, the only area where we really disagreed, and boy, he was, he was amazing, was the office. We were on Kingsway in Burnaby for 51 years, 1956 to 2007. I said, mm-hmm. Dad, I'm trying to grow this business. We've got to move. Like, there's seven parking spots. There's 40 people. There's rats. Like, we've got to move. He goes, okay. After about two years of battle, he goes, I'll move. Only if the office that we create at a building we own on, on Gilmore, only if the office is the exact replica of my current office, because he couldn't handle any kind of change. He went, said, <laughs> done, we can do that. He went away to Hawaii for eight weeks. He came back. He toured around. Does he like it? Does he like it? He loved it. And he sent me an email. This, is, this tells you about him. Three days later, he sent me an email saying, I'm sorry. I argued with you about the office location for so long. I just was reluctant to change. This is even better. It's closer to the house, what have you. So, you know, devoid of ego, he would always say, like, if he's made a mistake, he's, he would own it. Yeah. And uh, a lot of good examples to learn from a great role model that um, I got to spend time with. Ryan, let's talk a little bit about just housing today uh, in Vancouver. We constantly hear about the housing crisis. Uh, yesterday I had the housing minister on. I talked to the premier not too long ago on this show as well. Where do you think we need to go uh, from from how you see the world in regards to 
making housing maybe affordable affordable isn't the right word, but at least increasing supply in a significant way yeah. that people have an opportunity to have a roof over their head. What would you like to see done if you could be king for a day? Yeah, it's uh, been a long time coming. We've been sort of yelling and screaming about this for years, but I think on the positive side, there has been, I think in the last couple of years, it feels like there's a consensus forming that, okay, we need to all hands on deck, you know, between government, private sector, not-for-profits, there seems to be something happening, which I'm quite encouraged about because housing has become so out of reach. And in many cases, this has been itself inflicted by restricted zoning policies. You've got municipalities that are very well-intentioned and for the most part, but short-staffed, so not enough applications being approved. You know, we did a project 10 years ago and you know, the price we achieved was higher than what we thought. Well, that just led to land values going up in the area. And the reason why the price was higher is because other projects hadn't been approved, right? So a lot of this is self-inflicted. We're all coming together. The I don't the affordability thing in Vancouver, I think, is always going to be a challenge. But we have to keep the, the growth limited to hopefully under inflation because it's, it's causing a divide between those who own versus those who rent, older, younger. So... Um, we need to make significant changes. And we're starting to see it. I, I feel like everything is opportunity cost. When you drive down a street and you see government-owned land, whether it's Hastings with the P&E, and that's a real button for me. i, I got to watch what I say. <laughs> but we're making a choice as a society to have empty parking lots that sit there for 11 months. Or you could have housing there. Maybe it's six stories rental, below market rental, there are so many opportunities abound if we start looking around within the region to tackle this. And, you know, people are going to continue to want to come here. It's one of the best places in the world. So we're behind the eight ball now. How, what steps can we take to be not only dealing with today's crisis, but planning for tomorrow? And I think there has been a lack of coordination in the past. I'm totally pro-immigration, but you've got to have to have housing for people. And I do, I'm always an optimist. I do feel things are getting better mm-hmm. you know right now there's there's people are coming together on this issue do you think what you've seen your experimentation to a certain degree uh, uh you know premier eb was saying that they've got to basically take chances uh, in regards to some of this stuff and the legislation that they introduced in many ways i, I look at conservative leader and uh, pierre polyev and uh, ndp premier David Eby, different parts of the political spectrum. But yeah. both of them, when I listen to them, and they're sitting exactly where you've been sitting, I'm like, and these guys actually want to work around City Hall to a certain degree. Yeah. They think there's a bottleneck there. And I don't want to blame City Hall for all of it. You know, federal government got out of the rental business a long time ago as well. But do you actually see us heading in the right direction yeah. now, finally? Yeah, I, I, um, no, no, I don't, I'll try my best not to get uh, political, but for sure there's uh, one project that was delayed for many years. It was in a, in a city here in uh, Metro Vancouver. Right, there, Our site is right on transit. Right, the station is right there, but the local council said no. I'm like, how do you have the right to do that when senior levels of government have put all this money in for transit? And I said at the time, it's going to take senior level of government, probably the province, to sort of say, dictate this is what's going to happen. So unfortunately, it's come to the point where, you know, relatively drastic action is having to be taken. And because things festered for so long and there's and maybe there's an overreaction, we'll see. But it's the extent of the crisis, I think, is leading to um, decisions like this that need to be made. And, you know, maybe they're going too far. I don't know. Time will tell. But at least there's action and commitment to making change. So I encourage that. Whomever's in, in power, these are public policy issues that matter to everyone. And affordability is a problem for the citizens here, but it's a problem for economic growth. How do you attract people to come here and build your economy when it's not affordable? Or if you're at a university is trying to attract a professor, they can't. It's a tax on everybody in the region. It hurts. I don't know anyone who benefits from this. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
hopefully we can sort of break the back of it. Um, one of the things uh, I know your organization is very proud of is is uh, being involved with the community. Uh, I know you do a tremendous amount of work with the charities. I think your organization has given out about $135 million to charities. Um, and you're also involved in making sure you're uh, helping uh, and you're mentoring young people. And you have a, a luminaries, a BD Luminary uh, program. Walk me through that. Yes, yeah, so uh, we're really proud of BD Luminaries. It's a scholarship program we announced uh, actually in this room on my 50th birthday a little over five years ago. And since that time, we've grown. We have 600 students in the program that, um, uh, that we're helping you know, get through university and trades and the like. Um, we have a single parents uh, program. We're going to be announcing uh, a trades program upcoming. But it's, the scholarship is well beyond just financial support. We have mentors for the students. We have counselors on staff, wraparound support. So our retention rate, I think, is 97 98%. Hmm. Our goal is to make it the best scholarship program in the country. We're really proud of it. Continuing to evolve it, Martina Mekova is our executive director. She and her team have done a phenomenal job. I'm really proud of it. It's... Um, you know, to have success as a company, we have responsibility to give back to the community. And when I was turning 50, I thought, I want to do something around education. Our experience at SFU is so positive and helping students, giving these, these are students who, in many cases, wouldn't get to go to school. They've all faced adversity, mainly financial, and a lot of them are A minus, B plus students. They're not A, A plus students. There's always scholarships for them. People, students that otherwise might not get to go. And we're really thrilled with how it's gone. And we've got some big ideas on how to continue to invest in that going forward. What drives you every morning? That's part of it. Um, you know, we've been so fortunate. We've had great success. But contributing back to the community uh, and, and having a tangible impact on other people's lives is a, a massive driver for me. I'm really, it just, it fuels me. And I'm looking ahead going, wow, we've done some Really good things so far, but I really think we're just scratching the surface. We can do some massive stuff. We're having internal discussions now. What's the next big thing, whether that's scaling up luminaries or is that, you know, another sort of philanthropic endeavor? So it's a huge driver, but I'm also motivated by our people. We have incredible people in our company. I go to work. They're energized. I get energy from them. I hopefully give energy back to them. Going to, to, to sites, whether it's industrial, uh, we're across Canada now, we're doing a lot in Toronto, we're doing some work in Vegas. Uh, residentially, our Fraser Mills project in Coquitlam just launched. We have 5,500 5, units we'll be building over the next 15 to 20 years. So that's work. Back to my comment about my dad, work thinking about our team and all the, the, the incredible things we're going to get to do over the years to come and creating and having a tangible impact on the landscape. Those things all motivate me, but at work, going on site and seeing all sorts of activity and knowing that, you know, I'm a part of that. It makes me feel really proud and it drives me forward every day. Thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you.